Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. So, the other thing to keep in mind this morning, too, is that we have a, a few of uh, y'all that are going to be getting baptized this morning. So, this is a great opportunity um, just to have a good testimony um, yeah, to family, to friends, whatnot. So, just be praying for them. Because anytime you see in the scriptures where baptism occurs, shortly thereafter comes opposition. So, be praying about all that for each other. Joshua chapter 3. So this morning, believe it or not, we're hitting two chapters, three and four. And I am absolutely amazed by these chapters. Last week, we talked about spying out your land and doing it secretly and strategically. And then this week, we're going to be actually not have been two Sundays ago because last week we had the unified. And so this week, we're going to be talking about the land and how they're going to go over the Jordan and go into the land before they hit Jericho. And there is so much stuff here that we can learn. There's so much stuff. So uh, make sure that you guys are ready to hear this morning. All right, so Joshua chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 4. So let's hit this paragraph, get a little bit of our context in, and then we will dive into this. Okay, so first of all, it's time to pass over Jordan. So when a born-again believer in Jesus Christ has submitted his or her heart and life to the Lord to establish proper leadership, that was the first thing that we talked about, determined to have great strength and courage in their Lord and his word, and willingly, prayerfully, and obediently, they spy out that land that God has promised them, their heart and mind, their personal mission field, wherever it is, to see where and how God is working. Now it's time to pass over Jordan, because that's really where they're at. So at this point in time, God has promised them the land. This generation that's now going into the land, the old ones, they've died. So their parents, grandparents, the ones that were disobedient, they are now dead and gone. And now it's their turn, and their turn to be obedient to God, and they have a heart for it. And so Joshua comes along after the death of Moses, and we talk about how that was a picture of the law dying, and then Joshua is another name for? Jesus. Jesus. Yes. And so then you have Jesus that are going to lead his people. He's going to lead his people into the promised land. And God says, I'm going to be with you, Joshua, every step of the way. No one's going to be able to stand before you. And they told Joshua, whatever you say, we will do. If you tell us to go somewhere, we'll go there. We will obey completely. And so now they start heading into the land. And before they headed into the land, they had the two spies that came back and how God was working. And man, they were pumped and they're ready to go. But the first thing that has to occur is that they have to cross over Jordan. Now, I don't have this on your notes, but if you want to write this one in, this might be very helpful because it's going to be part of our application at the very end. The word Jordan, the word Jordan means flowing downward. And it also means the river of judgment. So flowing downward in the river of judgment. And this is very applicable because you think about Jordan. And if you were to look on it on a map, we'll use this because we've been using I-77 that used to be right here. So is I-77 on our map that's no longer on the wall, by the way? In case you didn't notice. If you did notice. I did. It's over there. It's rolled up. Okay. They painted in here. All right. So let's use our imaginations. All right, so you got I-77. So it literally flowed downward. I mean, that's just Jordan. So that's just what they named it. But it's also called the River of Judgment. Now think about that for a second. Why is that? Why would they name that the River of Judgment? Why would they name that Jordan? Think about where they are. Think about where they're going. Think about the significance of what that means, the River of Judgment. What could you put together with that? Yeah. If they're entering the promised land, like heaven and then they're in the world or the wilderness and salvation is the Jordan River or judgment mm-hmm. like going 
Yeah. And once you cross over the river, you ain't going back. there's no going back. So you have made a judgment, <clears throat> I'm going. And this is what's so important. So I want you guys to think about this. This was the entrance into their promised land. This was the door. This was the way over. And this is the one thing that the people need to pass over before starting their war. I think there's a lot of people that stay on the other side of the wilderness. They stay in the wilderness. They're over here and they're content there. They're God's people. That's where they belong for sure. But then you have this Jordan River and then you have all this land and God says, I've given you all this land. Do you get it? So there's a lot of Christians that say, you know what? I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't want to cross over that water. I don't want to fight those battles. I'm saved. I'm good. I'm done. And I know we've all felt that tug before. But here's the deal. God has promised so much more. So much more for you. And it's exciting. It's thrilling. I'm telling you, living a life with God, following God, is the most exciting thing you can possibly do. It's the most exhilarating thing you can possibly do. It is absolutely amazing, the things that God wants to teach you and show you. But I think for a lot of us, we're tempted to be like, no, I'm just comfortable right here. Okay, fine. You're comfortable, but you're not going to be able to experience all that God has for you. And I would much rather be on this side experiencing all that God has for me than to be content over here and miss out on all this stuff, all the blessings, all the things my life could have been. And I think that's a lot of our issue at times. We don't want that. I don't know why. I can take guesses, but you know why. What are the things that keep holding you back? What are those Jordan River things, circumstances, issues, people, sin issues, whatever, that keep holding you back from going forward and accepting what God has for you and embracing what God has for you? Only you know what makes you unfaithful. I can't answer that for you. I know what it is for me. I know those things in my life that have kept me unfaithful. And I have to make a determine, make a judgment I'm done. I'm crossing over. I can't do this anymore. And for a lot of us, it comes to the point where you just get utterly exhausted and tired before you're willing to cross over that river. So think about that as we go through it. So what's your Jordan? What is the thing that keeps flowing downward in your life? What's the thing that you need to personally judge and pass over? All right. I want you to think about that question as we work through this, because this is intense. This is really, really good. These are good devotional applications that we need to apply in order to be more faithful. Okay. So here's the first thing that we're going to take a look at. Not birthdays. (laughs) All right. So the Jordan River, I mentioned that. There's a map of it. There's a Jordan River. They're crossing over. And then I also included uh, this picture, too. So you have the Dead Sea here. And so they were over here. And then they crossed over. Here's Gilgal, Jericho. Some maps have Gilgal above here. It doesn't matter. They crossed over. They camped at Gilgal. And then their first battle was at Jericho. So that kind of gives you a little bit of a visual representation here. So here's the first thing that we're going to see. Wait until God moves. And that's the first thing that we see here in the chapter. And of course, I had to include that. Wait, what? Because I think that's often our reaction. God, you want me to wait? How long do you want me to wait? I mean, even with my own kids, I see this. Because Lucas, a lot of times, like the other night, I mean, this was a classic example. The other night, we told him to go into his room and just wait. And when it's time, we'll come in there and we will answer your questions. We'll do whatever. And he could not wait. He just kept getting up out of his bed, going out into the hallway, and then to the point where I'm putting Lucy to bed, and then Megan's out there, and she's like, why aren't you listening? I told you to go in and wait, and I will be in there in a second. But he couldn't. His selfishness, his stubbornness, his need to want more 
just made him disobey. So a lot of times in our life, we are not willing to wait on God. And God has very good reasons why he wants us to wait. But it's very important that you guys learn how to do this. So the first thing that we see here in chapter 3, look at verse 1. Chapter 3. Wait until God moves. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they were moved from Shittim, and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days... Side note, anytime you see that, there's always a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Anyway, came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So the first thing that you see here in verse 3 is that you have these officers that go through the host, and they command the people, they say, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, Move When you see it removed from your place, then go. Okay? But he says what after that, after the next verse? You see the ark move. Now it's time for you to move. But what does it say in verse 4? What, what, what? Don't get too close. Don't get too close. Leave a space between you and it. Why? Last part of verse 4. To see where it's going because you've never been there before. That's what it says. You have not passed this way heretofore. So you've never been here before. Okay? This is very important. You need to learn to wait until God moves. We are his people. This is his mission. We are followers that teach others to follow. How in the world... How many of you are in discipleship? Let me ask you this. Raise your hand. If you're in discipleship, you're currently being discipled by somebody. Okay, we got a few. That's not a hand raise. That's a... No, I am worried about it. Get that hand up. (laughs) All right, whatever. Okay, so think about yourself as a disciple, okay? You are a disciple. What is the purpose of discipleship? I just covered this with both of you guys this past week. What's the purpose of discipleship? You know the answer. Yes, for you to go, find a disciple, and they're supposed to follow who? Yeah, well, yeah, eventually, but they start off by following you. So, and we talked about this at the guy's breakfast yesterday morning. How many of you could confidently say, I could take somebody else and they could follow my life and they can see what it means to love God, to obey God, to walk with God. Now, being a disciple, that's what it's supposed to be. So if you are not willing or if you don't know how to wait on God and listen to God and see him moving and then you follow how in the world are you going to do that with anybody else? So you got to get that experience down. you got to wait until God moves. Give me some examples about waiting on God in your life right now. Some just very practical things on, man, you know what? God has taught me to wait, or I know this is an area that I probably should wait on God about. Just big picture issues, circumstances. What are they? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Because have any of you had a witnessing opportunity or you think you might have had a witnessing opportunity, but you jumped the gun too soon and then destroyed the opportunity? I've done that. Okay, what else? Yep. Yes. You like dating? And even friendships, right? Because there are some people that you need to wait on God. God, should I actually be this person's friend? Or God, should I even be interested in this person? 
and then you wait and see and watch and pray about it, that's important. That's huge. What else? Yes? Like career and college. Absolutely. Where you're going to go to school, what you're going to do for your future and your career. That's very important. We need to be praying about those things. What else? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There are some times where you just need to wait on God. And there are times where you're like, God, why isn't this happening? <clears throat> Chill. There's a reason. Trust him. What else? What about family problems and issues? Especially ones you can't fix. Waiting on God. You got to wait on God. You have to trust him. When God moves, he'll make it clear. So you just say, just sit here and do nothing. Mm -hmm. It's better to sit and do nothing and wait on God than to act and get into a bunch of mess. A whole big bunch of mess. It's bad. You should wait for God to move. And so when it comes to these issues of life, you have to learn how to wait on God. And that's why it says in verse four, there's going to be this space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it. Because you've never gone this way before. Especially in an area that you've never been before, you need to wait on God. You need to wait. You need to let him lead. There's a lot of us that we might be willing to wait for, oh God, okay, I'll wait a week. Okay. And then if I don't hear an answer, I'm acting. Okay, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You wait. And then when God begins to move, don't jump the gun on it. Give him space to move so that way you know. My dad has always said a phrase growing up that I have then adopted to be my own. It is so much better to be a thousand steps behind God than even one step in front of him. It is so much better. Like even when it came to my decision for college, future, career and stuff, you know what I did? When I graduated, I didn't know. I was undecided. I had an idea what I was going to do, but I had no idea. But I knew this. I have some college classes that I need to get done. So I'm going to go to Kent Stark and I'm going to get some of that stuff tucked away so that way if I transfer to another school or if I end up going into another program that I at least have some of my general classes done and I'm not just gonna be wasting my time and wasting my money there's nothing wrong with that I'm glad I did it that way I spent three semesters in college before I realized what I should be doing and it really helped me out greatly there's nothing wrong with that it is much better to wait in order to make the right decision than to rush into the wrong decision thinking it was the right one but you never spent time waiting on God about it it is so much better so much better And that's a thing that maybe you might need to learn through experience. I hope you don't, but maybe that's something that you need to really learn. Because that's what Saul struggled with. 1 Samuel 13 is a passage that I have as your cross-reference. So Saul was in a circumstance where Samuel said, all right, wait here until the appointed time, and I'm going to come and offer a sacrifice, and then you can go. And what did Saul do? Anyone remember chapter 13 of 1 Samuel? Got impatient and did the sacrifice himself. Yes. Yes, and as a result, so basically Samuel didn't show up, or at least Saul didn't, he didn't think he showed up on the time where Saul wanted him to show up. And as soon as he made the sacrifice, as soon as Saul made the sacrifice, Samuel shows up. He disobeyed God, and then what was the consequence? God told Samuel to tell Saul what? You've lost the kingdom. It's over. You're not going to be king anymore. Your, your, your lineage is not going to continue. Your reign will come to an end. So there's huge consequences because he wasn't willing to wait. So 
Here's a question for you, and I want you to think about this in light of this, this whole section. Do you hear from God on things? Now, I'm not talking about, like, God shows up and he's like, um, Hey, kid, uh, this is a really bad idea. Don't do that. Like, God doesn't do that. Now, inside he'll convict you about certain decisions that you're making, but do you know how to hear from God? Do you know how? How does a person wait on God and actually hear from him and be confident about what it is that he needs to do or she needs to do to move forward? I think that's a really good question. Can anyone answer that? Jack? His word. Okay, his word, absolutely. If God tells you directly, how else? Okay, as you go and seek counsel, then people can give you insights of wisdom. There's a one really, really big one. Huge, huge, huge. That word will never be the same after Trump. You know that? <laughs> yep. Yeah, prayer, huge. Prayer is huge when it comes to this. Massively important when it comes to this. Because you're talking to God about whatever it is. There are times in my life where I'm struggling with something. And when I go to God and I pour out my heart to God, and as I'm pouring out my heart and I'm being real and I'm being honest with him about how I feel and about the circumstances and my fears and my concerns and my worries and all that, and then as I'm pouring my heart out to God, and then I'm going into God's word and I'm reading it, there's something that happens with that. That as I'm being real with God and I'm, sharing my heart. I'm not keeping it in. I'm sharing my heart and everything about it. And then I'm reading his word and that's on my heart and in my mind because I'm praying to God about it. And then I'm seeing what God has to say. And then I'm praying about that. It brings a massive amount of clarity. And I think for a lot of us, there's a couple things wrong. I think there's a couple of us that, that there's a couple reasons why we don't hear from God. Number one, we don't hear from God because he still wants you to wait. So he's not answering you when you want. I think that's the first one. The second thing is he's not speaking because you're not listening. When he actually is speaking, but you're just not listening to what he has to say. You're not willing to go to him in prayer to talk to him about it. You're not willing to open up his word and see what God has to say. Because what he says about it, maybe you really don't want to know. Because if you knew about his answer, then you, your plans might be ruined. So either he still wants you to wait and he's not answering you, or he's speaking, but you're not listening. Because listen, look at this. So... You have here several things that happen. So verse 2. Take a look at verse 2 again. And it came to pass after three days that the what? Officers went through the host and they commanded the people. So the people are waiting for God to move. But then the officers go in and they say, all right, here's what you're going to do. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to be prepared for. And then take a look at verse 5. And who said? Joshua. So that's another name for? Jesus, verse 6, and Joshua spake. Okay, so now you have a circumstance that just in 4, 5, 6, God is speaking, and he uses people, officers, that are appointed by God to lead and shepherd the people. What does that sound like? I heard someone whisper it. Pastors, deacons, and in some capacity, disciplers towards their disciples. Sunday school teachers towards their classes, right? Anyone that is command, because where did the command come from? It came from God to Joshua to the officers, right? That's no different. I mean, look at this. 
God spoke. Right here, it's in a book. God spoke. I'm reading it. God speaks to me. He lays this on my heart. I speak to you. Well, I don't know what to do. God spoke. He laid it on my heart, and I'm telling you what to do. But I don't know what to do. Do you see do you see what's going on? This is part of the frustration sometimes of ministry. What about in your own life? When you crack open the word of God, God, please tell me what to do. What'd you get out of your devotions today? Ah, nothing really. Did you, did you read anything? God is always speaking to you. Every morning, every day, throughout the day, when I open up the Bible, God is always speaking to me. Always. In some way, shape, or form, He's always speaking to me. The issue is, am I listening? That's the issue. God is always speaking. The issue is, am I listening? Okay? So here you have these people waiting. They have officers that tell them what to do. Then Joshua shows up twice in verses 5 and 6, and he commands the people to tell them what to do. So maybe God is speaking, but you're just not actually listening. Or maybe you're just not willing to be obedient to whatever God is telling you to do. Because here's the thing about God. He's not really mysterious. You know, some people say, well, God just works in mysterious ways. Okay, that's bull. I don't like that phrase. I don't think that's true. I think he's very clear. I think he's very pointed. I don't think he's complicated at all. We are the ones that are mysterious. We are the ones that complicate things. It's very, very easy. Very easy to obey God. We make things very, very difficult. So wait until God moves. Give him room to lead. So that's point number one. Point number two, sanctify yourself. He says this in verse five and six. Somebody read five and six for me. Go ahead, Sam. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before them. Okay, so sanctify yourself and always be ready in anticipation. When was the last time you anticipated God to work? And you were like, oh man, I am so pumped. God is going to work and it's going to be stinking amazing. When was the last time that happened in your life? Anybody? Come on. Anybody? Anybody? Sam? Just this upcoming school year. Okay. Good. Anybody else? When was the last time you anticipated God? Yeah. Camp. I'm coming home from camp. Anybody else? Yeah. Trip to Mexico. Yeah. I was pumped for that. I was pumped for the whole summer. Yeah, Jack. Uh, PBS. Yes. You should daily live in anticipation. Daily. God, it's not like God's like, all right, so I'm going to work like, you know, a week or a couple days and then I'm going to just take a break. need a vacay. I'm just going to. God doesn't do that. God is always working. The clock is ticking. Time is running out. Souls are dying daily. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, the Bible says. He's always working, always moving, always. It's us. We're the ones that tend to sit on the bench. And when Christ, the coach, is calling us in, we're not willing to jump in and play. But if you're, wet, if you're ready and willing, I mean, I've even known people that really aren't the best players, but they're the ones that are on the bench closest to the coach. Because they know that if the coach is going to call somebody, it's going to call the person that's probably closest to them. You should be doing that. You should live in anticipation. You shouldn't be hanging back by the water cooler not wanting to play the game. You should be wanting to play. You should live in anticipation because here's the deal. God says, sanctify yourselves. What does sanctify mean? Set apart. So set apart from what to what? The world to Jesus. Yes. So sanctify yourselves unto God. 
which means you don't belong to the things you put yourself into before. You didn't, like, let's say you always would do the things that you want to do. When you, when you say, okay, God, I'm going to sanctify myself. I'm going to set myself apart unto you and away from those other things. Okay, so sanctify yourself. And why? For tomorrow, what does it say? Verse four or verse five. The Lord will do wonders among you. So God will work wonders as you obey and as you're set apart. So that's why I'm wanting to set some of these goals for you guys. Because if you're actively pursuing these goals and you're setting yourself apart and saying, God, whatever you want to do today, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to search your word about it. I'm going to look for opportunities today. Whatever it is, God, I'm ready. I'm ready and I'm excited for what you're going to do today. Because, I mean, what cannot, I mean, what, what can't God do? I mean, is there anything God can't do? Sin. Yeah. Well, yeah, but you think God's actually going to want to sin? Oh, yeah, I'm going to sin today. No. <laughs> I mean, he's the God of the impossible, right? He can do anything. And see, this is why you guys need to be ready for this kind of stuff, because if you've never experienced God doing the impossible, you'll never have confidence that he can do the impossible. And think about this. Maybe you don't have another circumstance in your life where you're like, well, God's really never showed me that he can do the impossible. Okay, hold on, hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Weren't you at one point lost and bound for hell? And there was nothing you could do about it? And then Jesus came in, died for you, offered you redemption so you could be set free for all eternity. And no matter what you do from that day forward, you'll never lose your status in God's family and the love that he has towards you and the kindness he's going to show to you for all eternity. That sounds like something that was pretty miraculous. But see, when we grow dull to the gospel and what God has done in your heart to change your eternity then of course you're not going to think he can do certain things in your life. No, God is the God of the impossible. And you are proof. You are proof. Your eternity is proof that God can do the impossible. So if God can do that, what else can he do? That gets me excited about what God can do. And so here he says, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. You've got to be willing to set yourself apart. And you look up those two other verses later, 1 Peter 3.15 I love that one. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always. And then 2 Peter 3, 4 as well is another really, really good one. So God is willing to do his part as we are set apart. And that kind of leads into our next point. Okay. God is waiting for you. God is waiting for you. God is not going to do his part until you're willing to do yours. Now this one's a tough one, but this is a very good life lesson I want you guys to learn. A lot of us, okay, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, God. I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you. Okay, God begins to move. Okay, um, I'm waiting for you. I'm still going to wait. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to wait. No, no, no. God's moving. Now you go. And as you go in obedience to God, then God will be able to work. Now, let me show you this example here. All right, take a look at verse 7. Verse 7. This is the largest portion here, so I'm just going to read it through really quick. Verse 7. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark. Here's the part I want you to listen to. It's about the priests with the ark. So pay attention to this. 
And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither, and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Now, therefore, take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And here it is. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon an heap. And it came to pass when the people were moved from their tents to pass over Jordan and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as they that bear the Ark were come unto Jordan and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped into the brim of the water for the Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon an heap very far from the city Adam, that is beside Zatan, and those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. Okay, so when you read this story and this event, what does it sound like? Especially when you read the part about they passed over on <clears throat> dry ground. Okay, Red Sea. Now, what's different between the Red Sea and this one? One's a sea, one's a river. Okay, so one's a river, one's a sea. What else? The priest had to stand in it. The Red Sea Moses just hit the water with the staff. He didn't even hit the water. Just he just lifted the rod. So he lifted the rod, God parted the waters. This one, the priests go in and they step into the water. That is a significant difference. Because one... God did the whole thing. The other one, God moved, they're following, and then he steps into the river and then it happens. Okay? This is a great, great illustration. Your salvation was purchased and bought by Jesus. God himself. God parted the waters. He made that happen. But then you had to make the decision to cross over on dry ground. Okay? So that's salvation. It's a great picture of salvation. This one, however, is different. Now that you're a believer, now that you're a Christian, God commands you to obey. And there are times in your life that until you are willing to obey, God can't work. God can't move. Until you do what he tells you to do and you act out on faith and obedience, it is impossible for God to do the impossible. Did you get that? I want you to make sure you get that. Because this is a great picture. There's a lot of Jordan rivers in your life that may come and go, but generally there's one big one. Generally. There can be more than one, but there's generally one big one. And we call that the time of consecration. The point in your life where you cross over and you're like, God, I am not going back. I'm tired of struggling as a Christian. I'm tired of failing. I'm tired of struggling with all this kind of stuff. Not that you're not going to in the future, but it's different. It's different. I'm done. I'm done being just this weak watered-down Christian that's not making an impact. I'm ready to give my life to you. I'm ready to go to war. I'm ready to go do something. That's what we're talking about. But until you take that step, and let me give you a great example. 
And I don't know if this is true for some of you, but you need to think about it between you and the Lord. Those of you that are getting baptized today, that is a great example. Jesus did not begin his ministry until he was baptized. So you taking a step of faith and saying, God, I belong to you. I love you. My life is yours. Now, some people just do baptism because they just do baptism. But baptism is supposed to be something like that. I am yours, and I'm not ashamed to tell people about it, and I'm ready to fight for you. That's what we're talking about. And there's a lot of Christians, like I said, that stay back on the other side of Jordan, and they're just content. They're just content being saved. They got a seat at the table, and they're good. Rather than understanding what actually happened to get you a seat at the table, and then you living your life as an appreciation for what God has done to give you a seat at the table. Got the difference? Okay, so that's the difference there. God will not do his part until you're willing to do yours. And I love how it says there, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest that bear the ark, it goes into the waters, then, then God works. Now, here's some things just to think about. The Jordan River was not just a small stream. I want you to see this. So this is an old picture. They actually say that the amount of water going through the Jordan River now is not what it used to be. So this is a picture taken like 100 and some years ago, right? So you have this river here, and this is the Jordan. They have this bridge here. Now let me show you when the Jordan River overflowed during the time of harvest and what it looked like. All right, so you see this bridge here? That bridge is that bridge, okay? So imagine, I don't know if it was like this, but just imagine it being like this, that they are over here. And they're crossing over here. So this wasn't just like a small little stream, like something you just, I crossed over Jordan. No, <laughs> we're talking about something that is massively huge that you just can't go. And by the way, this is also deep and you're going to have currents running through there. So you just can't cross Jordan, just wade in. So there's no doubt in my mind, these priests were freaking out. Is God actually going to do this or not? Well, find out buddies. Let's go. All right, so then they step in, and as soon as they step in, boom, takes it, and the whole thing is removed all the way up, and it stands up as in a heap. So the river literally stopped, and it was a giant heap of water far away from them, and the dry ground, I mean, it was instantly dry. So that just gives you an idea of how that looked, okay? I wanted to show you that. I thought that was kind of cool. I found that. So this takes us into point number four. Point number four. Point number four. Always take stones of remembrance. Always take stones of remembrance. Where's your stones? You got any? Always take stones of remembrance. Whenever God does something major in your life, whenever he does something massive in your life, you need to take up some stones of remembrance because that's all chapter four. Chapter four is all about taking up those stones of remembrance. So let me show you a couple of those passages here. All right. So chapter four, verse one through nine. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan that the Lord spake unto Joshua saying, take you 12 men out of the people, out of every tribe of man and command ye them saying, take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, 12 stones. And ye shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had prepared. So they already knew they were gonna do this. Of the, tribe, or of the children of Israel, out of every tribe of man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. And here's the reason, that this may be a sign unto you, 
uh, sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. Now take a look at verse 20. And after they went over the Jordan, verse 20, and those 12 stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. That, and here's the reason, this is it, big verse, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. Okay, so there's a couple things I want you to see here. First of all, they're crossing over. Just imagine, okay? You have the guys, we'll picture like this, the pulpit here, this would be kind of like the ark, okay? And then you have all the people, and they cross over the Jordan, okay? So they're passing the ark. God stands in the midst, they cross over the Jordan, and there's 12 men. He says, all right, guys, I need you to take these 12 stones. Take these 12 stones, go over to Gilgal, and you're going to put them up there. God bless you. All those times, and many, many more. We all right? We need tissues? Yes, okay. All right. <laughs> Just chuck the whole box. That's actually a good idea. Here you go, <laughs> Sorry if you got a cardboard cut. My bad. Okay. You need to cross over that, Jordan. All right. No, you're good. Okay. So you have the ark. You got the people crossing over. They take these stones. They pitch them in Gilgal. So you have this stone altar in Gilgal. And that's why you can kind of see in the background here. Yes, that there. Okay, so these would be bigger stones. It'd be more of a memorial for them to know this is what God did. Now, this is very, very important for you guys to know because there's two things to see here. First of all, God tells him to set up these stones. And if you actually read, and there's, a, there's another verse in here too, there's two places where t- stones are supposed to be set. Number one, Joshua told the men, set them in Gilgal where you camp. So that way it can be out there. But it also says in the same chapter, which we don't have time to read. You can look up the notes later, read through the chapter. Joshua himself set up 12 stones in the midst of Jordan. So there's two places. And this shows me something. God himself sets up stones so he can remember. Because Joshua set up those stones in the middle of the river. Why in the middle of the river? No one's going to see him. Um, no, God did. He knows those stones are there. Secondly, now you set up your stones so that way you can remember. It's important that you guys remember what God has done for you. And here's the other thing. Can you imagine the people for a second? Like, they're about to go over into war. They're about to go into Jericho, and they're about to go into battle. They have no idea what's ahead of them. They just know that Jericho is the first place. I would be terrified for my wife, my kids, the whole nation. I would be terrified. But then you see something like that, where God miraculously dries up the Jordan, stands up on a heap, and they're like, dude, ground's dry. Like, amazing? Or you're like, I expected God to do that. Okay, come on. Like, this would be exciting to them. They would be thrilled out of their mind. They're like, I knew God was going to do something, but I didn't expect him to do that. Man. And then they go over, and they're like, all right, it's on. It's on. All right, Jericho, you're going down. I mean, they would be pumped out of their minds about what God's going to do. 
Their confidence will be through the roof about what God can do. This is why you need to remember these, these stones of remembrance. Look back over your life. Have you soon, way too soon, forgotten the things that God has done? Remember what God has done. Because there's going to be times in your life where things are hard, where things are just, ugh. And when you go back, you look at those stones and you remember what God has done for you. Because when you remember what God has done for you, it's like, all right, okay, I'm not thinking right. My heart's not right. My mind's not right. I need to remember what has God done for me. And if God can do that, what else can he do? All right, I need to get myself realigned because I'm just, I'm not thinking right. This is why you need those stones of remembrance. This is why oftentimes I've written down stones of remembrance in my Bible of different things God has taught me throughout the years. So that when I go back to certain passages, I'm like, oh, I have forgotten about that. Or I journal things out. I just recently went through my notes from my last Mexico trip in October. And there's like notes in there. I'm like, oh, I completely forgot about that. That's right. God did teach me that. And that helped me. If you're not in the pattern of setting up these stones of remembrance, how in the world are you going to get through some of the dark days ahead? They're about to go into war. People are going to die. They need those stones of remembrance. And not only do they need it, what else does it say in verse 24? That the people of the who? That the people of the earth. That means lost people too. Your stones of remembrance and how God has changed you is not just for you and your own personal encouragement. It is a testimony to the lost world that God is real. So that's all I got. So here's what I want you to think about. Same two questions that we started off with. What is that thing that keeps flowing downward in your life? Jordan, what is that thing that you need to personally judge and pass over with your Savior leading you? I look at this room and I see so much potential in you guys. So much to reach people, to reach your family, to reach your friends, to make an impact at school before time is too late. I mean, I see so much. And I see so many people that are like, because I see this a lot. I see people in the wilderness, and they're kind of doing their own thing, and they're probably going to die there. But then I see other people that are coming up to the Jordan, and they're like, And they just do this constantly. Very few people will say, I'm in. That's what it's going to require. If we want to change this ministry into something that will glorify God to the utmost, to get people in the door so they can hear the word of God, maybe for the first time in their life, to be the people that God uses to change other people's eternity, to make an impact in your families and your schools, you have got to cross over Jordan. Because until you cross over Jordan, you can't fight any battles. Until you say, I'm in, I'm in. I'm not going back. Forget Jericho. Forget about doing anything for the Lord. Until you're in, you can't fight. See why this one's important? And the next chapter that we talk about is as equally important. God spends a lot of time setting up the stage before Jericho comes. So we need to think about that. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I pray we take these things to heart. Help us to obey. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.